the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Reaching Your Heart. Thanks for listening today. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message is entitled, A Righteous Life Now. Due to our time constraints, we'll only be able to bring you the first portion of this broadcast today. But join us tomorrow as we conclude this message or go online to reachingyourheart.com. Look for the broadcast schedule on the main page and you can download a copy right there from the website. Join us again after the broadcast. I have some other very important information to pass along to you as soon as we complete today's message. Let's get underway. A righteous life now. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. We come to church here because we are in a long train of obedience where the Holy Sabbath day is a memorial in time that you're a God that committed himself to us, gave himself in Jesus to us, and rested at creation and after the cross because you are the God of the great covenant. And as we gather to worship you, may we have righteous lives right now that are active, that are meaningfully buoyant, and that look for the grace that will give us the opportunity to live out Christ in our own sphere. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not a country music fan. I'm not going to ask you if you are. Most of what I've been unfortunately privileged to listen to for a little bit as I turn my radio dial is pretty bad. I guess you know I'm not a country music fan. But I'm probably not a fan of most music that's out there because most music talks about who did somebody wrong kind of thing or what's wrong with this relationship or that and how bad I got treated, awful stuff. I like music that lifts up the Lord Jesus, that gives me peace in my life, that helps me to love the Word of God and to love others. There is a song that has come into our culture that's now so fixed it's created a sense of a cultural expression And Carrie Underwood, I think, gained fame in the country music industry with the song. You've heard it, and I've mentioned it before, Jesus Take the Will. Have you ever heard that song? The chorus to the lyrics of the song goes something like this. She was driving last Friday on her way to Cincinnati on a snow-white Christmas Eve, going home to see her mama and her daddy with the baby in the back seat. Fifty miles to go, and she was running low on faith and gasoline, It had been a long, hard year. She had a lot on her mind, and she didn't pay attention. She was going way too fast. Before she knew it, she was spinning on a thin, black sheet of glass. She saw both their lives flash before her eyes. She didn't even have time to cry. She was so scared, she threw her hands up in the air. And then the famous lyrics, Jesus, take the wheel. Take it from my hands. Because I can't do this on my own. I'm letting go. So give me one more chance. Save me from this road I'm on. Jesus, take the wheel. I like that lyric. I do. I don't like country music as a rule, but I like that lyric. And sometimes God speaks in the culture out there to say something that we're not saying out there. So that's okay. And this expression, Jesus, take the wheel, is now a cultural way of saying, get me through this rough day, isn't it? 
Or help me make it through this difficult year. Or help me deal with this loss. Or help me challenge this health problem and get me through it, Lord. An Indiana woman took the phrase literally. She took her hands off the steering wheel as she was driving down the road. It was time for her, as she said to the police officer, to let Jesus take the wheel, she thought. The evidence suggests that he did not take the wheel. Miss Prianda Hill told the police that she had let go of the wheel because God told her, as she said, quote, God told me he would take it from me, end quote. There's a real danger in life claiming that you hear the voice of God like that. I mean, when I hear people talk that way, I get a little nervous. They say the Scripture says, or the Word of God instructs us to do this. I feel better with that. But when they act like they're a prophet conduit of the voice of God, I get nervous. That's what she was doing. The Lord told me. Of course, what is the police officer supposed to say? So there's a real danger in this. She hit Anthony Oliveri on his motorcycle as her car swerved off the road into him. Now, based on her testimony, Jesus is a bad driver. The force of the blow threw the man to the ground. Then the car, supposedly guided by God, ran over the man. He told the reporter, when I looked at that bumper and looked at that tire, I told myself, today is the day you die. Thank God he didn't die, but all of his ribs on his left side were broken. His spleen was cut open. His kidney was bruised. His left arm was severely damaged. And the woman who claimed to be guided by God kept on going with her hands off the wheel. I mean, she was in prophetic mode. And according to the court records, she hit a pickup truck twice. And she finally came to a stop when her car hit an island between two restaurants. Now, we've been living during crazy days as of late. Can you feel it in the world? Yes or no? I can We've seen jihadists brutally execute American journalists in the name of God. I don't even want to go there about describing it. I mean, it just simply sits out there as this thing. How did that happen in our culture at this time? How did a caliphate get started just out of the blue that threatens the stability of Western civilization? I mean, it was in the headlines that they're hoping to nuke or figure some way out to destroy a major U.S. city. Now, how can they do that? They are so well-funded because they took over a number of banks in rich Iraq that they have enough money to do almost anything as far as a terrorist is concerned. Al-Qaeda is a poor organization. ISIS is a rich one. We've seen rioting in the streets of Ferguson, Missouri. Would you ask the question, how could this come to America? We've seen people of religion with the name reverend before their name whip the crowds up to commit violence. And we've seen the media want more of it because it helps their ratings go up. We've heard anger on every side, both sides, justifying evil in the name of God. And you look at the news, and what I want to do is just cut it off. Are you with me? Just cut it off. But it's there. It's part of the world we live in. When you look at the headlines, it's evident that there aren't too many people out there saying, Jesus, take the wheel. Am I right? People are trying to govern their own lives, to choose their own outcome. And the Christ we need to direct our world, our country, our families, people are looking at other places. The world is getting more and more evil every day, and one day Jesus will come and end the evil that's in the world. But as the evil in the world gets worse, day by day, friend, it's God's will that we become more and more righteous day by day to match the growth of evil in the world around us. It is not God's will that you have a morally neutral and ethically neutral religious experience with God 
on the eve of the advent of Jesus Christ. God is calling a generation of men and women and young people to stand for Christ with a righteous life, an uncompromised life, to face the onslaught of evil with the love of God lived out in the life. So two things will happen when Jesus returns. First, evil will be so bad that God has to end it. And secondly, righteousness in the lives of His people will be so good, so appealing to God that He has to come and gather it into His eternal realm. You know, the mystery of iniquity and the mystery of God will be finished and the two harvests of good and evil will be ready at the same time and human history will come to a climactic end which will be a new beginning. Now, friend, I do not want to be in the harvest of the grapes for the winepress of the wrath of God. Do you? No! Right? Let's say it like you should. No, I don't want to be part of the final harvest of wrath. No way. Now, I want my family and this church family to be a part of the grain harvest that is gathered into God's barn, into His heavenly house. Is this what you want? Now, what do you say? You say yes loudly and affirmatively. Friend, time is running out for you to play games with God and His truth. I'm just telling it like it is. Christ is coming for those who want Him to come. He's not coming for people who just say, well, you know, I hope He doesn't so I can finish my life goals. Forget your life goals. Christ is coming. Whatever His goal is for your life, that's what matters for your future. And when you want Jesus to come in the clouds of heaven, you really want Jesus to come right now into your life every day. You see, wanting Him in the future means cherishing Him in the present. Our eschatology informs our ethics. Our sense of future events informs how we should live as we come into them. To be ready in that day, friend, requires you to be ready right now, every day for the rest of your life. So justification by faith. What does it mean to have the forensic righteousness of Jesus Christ? Justification by faith, friend, I'll say it plainly, is a gift of a right now kind of righteousness that is good enough for the judgment day. Did you hear me? I mean, that's the apostolic gospel. We can come to church and we can talk about all these other beliefs. And I am a firm believer in teaching prophecy. I have never understood why gospel ministers would surrender the prophetic power of the Word of God to preach this stuff that has no force to it. The early apostolic church taught the prophecies of Daniel with the gospel. I can prove it to you by going through the New Testament and demonstrating it to you. And the final generation will do exactly the same thing. It will open up the prophecies of Daniel Revelation. But it will open up the book of Romans too. The book of Galatians and Ephesians and the Gospels. And the everlasting Gospel, which is the first angel's message of Revelation 14, will be given by pulling the entire Bible and the life of Christ into prophetic truth to prepare the world for the coming of Christ. I'm not ashamed of both of these elements. But if I had to choose one over the other, and we don't have to, I would choose the apostolic Gospel as the primary emphasis of my life. Justification by faith, friend, is a gift of a right now kind of righteousness that is good enough for the judgment day. Romans 5.1, therefore. I like therefore statements. There are two of them in the book of Romans. One here and in Romans 8.1. Therefore, 
Since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, some verses need an amen. This is one of them. Amen. I mean, how do we have peace with God? How do we have acceptance with God? It's by having faith in Christ as our substitute. As the one who went to Calvary's cross in our place. Now there's a similar statement in Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Similar kind of statement. I like those therefore statements. Friend, God declares His people righteous by faith in Jesus alone. That is the apostolic gospel. But this is not presumption. This is not a license to do evil in your life. It's not an excuse for you to do whatever you want to do. This is not a cheap kind of righteousness. It's a very expensive kind of righteousness. But once this truth is firmly established in the Christian life, God begins to mend the broken life that is accepted through faith. God sanctifies the heart that has been justified by faith. God transforms the life that is hid in Christ, that clings to Christ for mercy. That's how it works. Acceptance starts at the beginning of the journey as a Christian, not at its end. So we are not accepted because we're sanctified. Did you hear me? Now that's a very important distinction. Some people think, well, you know, the Lord's worked on my life long enough, and when He's fixed all those bad corners up in my life, then I'm accepted. That's foolish theology. That's medieval theology that came out of the Council of Trent that opposed the Reformation, the apostolic gospel was discovered in the 16th century. Friend, we are not accepted because we are sanctified. We are sanctified because we are accepted by grace. God's gift of acceptance by faith in Jesus is followed by God's gift of a righteous life that's not the basis of your acceptance, it's the fruit of your acceptance. It's the result of God's power and character in your life. You see, God doesn't want a bunch of people running around the church who respond to Him because they're fearful of Him. He doesn't want worship that's based on a sense of obligation because you're trying to make up for that which God didn't fully give. Friend, notice that I did not say that this kind of thing is the result of faith in God, that somehow a righteous life is the result of your quality of faith. Have you checked your faith out lately? You might have discovered that your faith falls short. I mean, my faith at times is a mustard seed of faith. At times it falters. At times it has to be renewed. Is your faith like that or no? Is it? Okay. Righteous living doesn't come because you're good at having faith in God. Did you hear me? Righteous living comes because the Holy Spirit, given as a gift to you, brings the gift of right living as the fruit of the Spirit Because you're in a faith relationship with Jesus. It's not based on the quality of your faith. It's based on God's intervention in your life. We can no more change our lives to be righteous than we can declare ourselves righteous for the judgment day. The power of God must be operative in the life that has changed. Both our legal right to heaven and our fitness for heaven, that's justification and sanctification, is the work of Jesus Christ who is our righteousness right now. Right now. God offers you in Jesus a righteous life right now. Acceptance right now. That's forensic and legal, but it makes a difference in your life as well. That righteous life is not a facade or a fake projection of your own power to achieve. It's not positive thinking let loose. 
I've tried positive thinking at times, and sometimes I can't think positively. Are you that way? I don't always need to think positively if things are going bad. I need to plead with Christ for things to go better sometimes. But more profoundly, I just need Christ. Because I'd rather have the power of God holding me through my troubles than trying to manage them by acting like I'm the master of my own universe, which I am not. Friend, it is a righteous life that is the life of God, the fruit of the Spirit of God that is the thing that causes the soul to fly. Hope that gives flight to the wings of faith. So how does God create a righteous life when we are by nature unrighteous sinners? Is that a good question to ask? How does He do it? Three points to consider. Number one, Righteousness is first and foremost God's righteousness. You can write that down. Righteousness is first and foremost God's righteousness. 2 Peter 1 verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours in the righteousness of, what does the text say? Of our God and of Jesus Christ. It doesn't take a theological genius to figure out. That verse 1 is saying that the righteousness belongs to God and to His Son. Am I correct? Our access to righteousness is really our access to God and Jesus. Righteousness belongs to God and to His Son, Jesus. You don't own it. They have the right to declare someone righteous legally because they keep the law and to make someone righteous ethically because they are righteous and they have all power. Faith gives us access to the righteousness of God which God has so freely given to every man and woman who exercises saving faith in Jesus. Now, what do I mean by saving faith in Jesus? Saving faith in Jesus is when you are humbled and you are broken instead of telling God what He has to do. And you come to the foot of the cross and you look at that Savior on that cross and you stop telling Him how He has to respond on your terms to Him. But you fall down and you say, Lord, save me, I'm a sinner. At that moment in your life, you receive a righteousness that will pass the scrutiny of the judgment day. And if you hang on to God like that for the rest of your life, you will live an ethically righteous life. Now, you may have bumps, ups and downs in your life, but God will look at the trend of a life that is centered in Jesus, and it's good enough because it's based on the merits of Jesus. Faith gives us access to the righteousness of God, which God freely gives in Jesus Christ. I never get tired of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He did what? That He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, now here's the condition, believeth in Him shouldn't perish but should have what? An everlasting. Christ is the gift. Faith is the means by which we lay hold of the gift. Christ our righteousness. You cannot produce righteousness for yourself by simply trying hard. I used to. I was a perfectionist for a number of years after being exposed to Christianity until I figured out that it only leads to a breakdown. I tried to prove myself righteous enough to be a part of some final generation. And the more I tried, the more frustrated I got with this. I don't even like hearing that kind of talk. You know why? It's arrogant. It's not our business to tell God what we will do or become. It's our business to come to the cross and let God work in us to become what He wants us to be. And when our eyes are off ourselves, our eyes are on Christ. And the life that is centered in Christ is the obedient life. And isn't that what we want to obey? But if you do it for the wrong reason, it sabotages the life. 
The righteousness that we need is God's righteousness that is good enough for the judgment day and good enough for every day of your life because God's with you. God's righteousness, friend, does not come from you to God. God's righteousness comes from God to you. And it must be received on your knees. Romans 10.3 For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God. He's speaking to the Jewish nation here. And seeking to establish their own. Forbid we should ever do that here. They, he writes, did not submit to God's righteousness. Now he means that to Christ, the gift of salvation, to the Son of God who gave himself for their sins, they wanted another way. We can't add to the gift of God. We can't do something more profound, more beautiful than what Jesus did on the cross. And friend, we can't win the victory with evil. Jesus did. But we can align with Christ. We can be with Christ. Christ in us can be lived out in our life for the glory of God. Paul makes an amazing statement, Romans 10.4, that has been misunderstood by many well-meaning Christians in recent years in the Christian centuries. Romans 10.4, For Christ, Paul writes, is the end of the law, that everyone who has faith may be justified. And of course, well-meaning pastors in various places will say, Aha! Christ did away with the law at the cross. He's the end of it. The Greek word here is telos. It means goal. The purpose of the law, the reason the law was given, he is the goal for the law. It comes to an end in that sense that everyone who has faith may be justified. In the context, the text means that Christ is the end of the law as a method for righteousness, not as an ethical standard, not as the standard for the judgment day, but as a method for righteousness. In other words, the basis of our acceptance, Christ is the only way to be accepted. And then that we might be declared righteous by faith. That's what this verse is saying. Our right standing before God is based on God's grace and God's goodness and God's gift in Jesus. And we do not diminish the law when we understand it in the right way. That the law is to lead us to Christ. To show us our need of God's righteousness. So our standing before God is based on God's grace, God's goodness. I don't want any other kind of righteousness in my life, do you? You want a different kind of righteousness than that? You shouldn't. I don't want rags that look like righteousness but are really just rags. I want His righteousness to be my righteousness. The Apostle Paul gave up on this idea that he could be good enough for God to accept him. In Jesus, he surrendered the law as a method of righteousness so he could receive the righteousness that comes by faith so the law could be written on his heart in the new covenant experience. Philippians 3.8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuse in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. Do you want a righteousness of your own for the judgment day? Good, because if you do, you're going straight to the lake of fire. Friend, Paul says, I don't want to have a righteousness of my own. But then he tells us what kind of righteousness that is. Based on law. In other words, utilizing the law as a method of salvation instead of letting Christ as the one who atoned for it be the basis of our salvation. He says, so I don't want a righteousness of my own based on how good I keep the law. But, here's what I want, he says, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on 
faith. So let's repeat point number one again. Righteousness is first and foremost whose righteousness? God's righteousness. That leads us to point number two. Point number two, a righteous ethical life for someone who is a born sinner is really a process of repentance and growth. I mean, it's not the absence of letting God down. It's actually dealing with it in a way that shows you're in Christ. And so an ethical life that's righteous for a person with a sinful nature will be manifested as a life of continual repentance and growth and deepening into Christ without acting like that's not the case. Righteousness is not the absence of sin so much as it is the manner in which you deal with sin in your life. Because sin pops up. I know this in my experience. I know you probably know it too. So it's how you deal with it that determines whether or not you're righteous. A righteous person brings his or her sins to Jesus with all the mess, the pain, the resentments, honestly. Now, he doesn't bring it to everybody else in the church. He brings it to Jesus. You can confess your faults, the Bible says in James, but don't go confessing your sins to other believers. So he or she confesses it all to God. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, and that man or woman receives God's grace. God's forgiveness, God's justification and power. If you have been justified by faith when you receive Christ, you continue this way, you're under the umbrella of God's acceptance. That's how you wash your robe white in the blood of the Lamb, according to Revelation 7. You've been listening to A Righteous Life Now with Pastor Michael Oxentango. We were only able to bring you the first portion of this broadcast today, but we will complete it tomorrow. Or you can go online to reachingyourheart.com and download a copy from the broadcast schedule there on the main page. Again, the name of the broadcast, A Righteous Life Now. We'd love to have you at the worship service every Saturday at 11 o'clock at 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. At 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. And if you forget that, it's available on the website. Thanks for listening. And as always, we pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.